This podcast is intended for an adult audience. Please be aware that some of the content discussed may be triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Reach Out, the podcast, where we are dedicated to ending sexual violence through advocacy, counseling, education, and more. This is the official podcast of Reach Counseling, located in Northeast Wisconsin. You will learn more about the services we provide and hear from members of our team, sexual assault survivors, and the people who support them. We are so glad you're joining us today and would love to connect with you further. You can find out more about us by going to reachcounseling.com. The interview portion of this episode was recorded in May of 2023. Please keep this in mind when dates and timelines are referenced. This week's episode features an interview with Sierra Hill, Advocacy Director and Victim Advocate at REACH Counseling. Sierra shares how she has developed the advocacy program and supports her team so they prevent burnout. She also discusses the ins and outs of medical and legal advocacy. Here is episode five. Thank you so much for being here, Sierra. I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your background with getting involved with REACH and what your role here is. How I got involved with REACH was about five years ago, I was working um, for the Boys and Girls Club of Oshkosh, and I was asked to co-facilitate a Black girls healing group with them and they let me know that the co-facilitator that I would be facilitating this group with was a therapist from Reach Counseling Services and I, at that point I had it had no idea that Reach even existed and um, so I decided to, to co-facilitate that and she let me know that there was a job opening at Reach and that I would be perfect for it. Hey, um, right away. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't right away, but it was over the course of time. And I was like, you know, I, I, I had just graduated from UWL. I had a young baby at home. And to be honest, I, I didn't think that I was qualified for the position and, once I went and applied for the position and I got asked to come in for a second interview and then I was told I got the job, it just kind of opened a lot of doors for me and opened my eyes to the fact that like I am qualified for a position um, like this and that um, not only just off of my schooling, but also just life experiences as well. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I got to reach. That was for the campus advocacy position. You mentioned earlier now I'm the advocacy program director here at reach and so I've I've been in a few different roles yeah. here. <laughs> you know started off as a campus advocate and then I transitioned into a youth and teen advocate slash prevention educator so I was going into the schools and doing that and I love that because I did come from like a working with kids background at the Boys and Girls Club. And so I was, I am very passionate about youth as well. So I was like, this is perfect. And then um, I got this amazing opportunity to be the advocacy program director. And I was like, there's no way I'm missing out on that. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so how long have you been in this position officially then? Um, 2020. Okay. So right in the middle of the pandemic. Hey. It's crazy. <laughs> it's perfect time to start a new role. But, you know, to be honest, I think timing is important is, you know, and I think it was perfect 
timing for me in 2020 when there was a lot of being at home and, you know, navigating that and the changes in society that was going on in 2020. It just, it made a lot of sense for for me to start, you know, venturing off and, and using what I've learned over the course of the years that I've been at REACH to really like take the program, you know, to, to another level. So, yes. Yeah. So what do you spend the bulk of your time as the advocacy director <laughs> doing? Like, oh. I know no day looks the same, but yeah, like, what definitely. do you spend the bulk of your time and energy on? I would say, you know, under advocacy, we have a lot of different programs from culturally responsive outreach, victim advocacy programs, also other specialized program under advocacy. So, you know, that is a lot of individuals. So it's it's a big team. And I would say a lot of it is supervision, managing the different programs, grants, <laughs> take up a lot of my time, reporting on them, doing them. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah they take up a lot of time, but also... Also, I, I've done a lot of different projects since becoming the advocacy director to to create more like policies and procedures and manuals to just make sure that like everyone when they start off at REACH is on the same page or at least, you know, close to it when it comes to the policies and procedures and how to go about doing like personal, legal and medical advocacy and, and outreach because it, it for someone who doesn't come from an advocacy background, knowing what personal medical and legal advocacy is can be a hurdle to learn and to navigate through and to be like confident in doing the work too. So I've been doing things from, you know, creating advocates of color retreat to a burnout prevention workshop to the advocacy workshop, different things to be more hands-on with the advocates right. to get them um, to a place where they feel confident doing the work. So that's, a lot of it is really just working to make the program better um, yeah. by, you know, each year. And then the other bulk of it is victim advocacy. So I'm still, I do still do direct service. I do have clients and that I have to help with medical, legal, and personal advocacy. So I like that about my job. I I think it would be hard for me to do my job as an advocacy program director if I wasn't, you know, providing direct service. Plus, that's where, that's how I fell in love with the work, is doing direct service. And so I still want to be making a difference within the community. And so victim advocacy is very important to me. Yeah, I have an educational background and I noticed that a lot of administrators kind of come to that conclusion eventually that they start out as teachers and then they go to administrators and sometimes when they're not in the classrooms, they're losing touch with that. And so it's really awesome that you're doing the equivalent of that in your role, staying involved in the actual field, hands on. So that way you're able to guide the people that you're supervising. And yeah, yeah, that's really needed. You mentioned a burnout workshop or yeah. a burnout prevention workshop. Yeah. <laughs> and I know like some of our listeners probably work for other nonprofits and stuff. Mm-hmm. So would you be willing to kind of share a sure, little bit about sure. that workshop and what you talked about? Yeah. We want to make sure that people understand what burnout really is, what it looks like. And we want to make sure that people are equipped 
to have skills and techniques and and things that they can just pull out when they're starting to feel like they they may be getting closer to burning out right? right so a lot of people don't really know that they're in it till they're in it and so we want to make sure that we're talking about it we're being vocal about it we're giving people resources because advocacy does have a very high turnover rate because of you know the intensity of the work and so we don't ever want advocates to feel or to get burnt out so we want to make sure that people are still loving the work and that their cup is full so we've been planning it and so far what we have planned is we're gonna take time to talk about self-care and not just talk about it but let's talk about let's dive a little bit deeper into self-care what are people already doing what can people like examples of self-care so we have this wheel the self-care wheel and it has different things on it from personal self-care to spiritual to work self-care and we're gonna pick a section on that and do an activity related to that the activity that we picked is like vision boards so we're gonna have a bunch of magazines a bunch of art stuff for people to use um, to create those vision boards. And then we are also gonna talk about resilience. So there's this resilient wheel and we are going to pick another section of that resilience wheel. So we have, yeah, yeah, we have, we picked yoga because that's something that helps with the mind, the body and the spirit. So I'm curious, what is the number one thing that you make sure you do for self-care to avoid burnout for you personally? Uh, I've been in this field for quite some time now. Yeah. And you know, it's burnout is something that like before I got into this work, I didn't know it existed or, right. or what it looked like. But for me, it's it's about taking care of my body. So I work out, um, I enjoy working out at the gym or I enjoy hiking as well uh, with my family. I also enjoy spending time with my friends. I think it's very important um, that you, you know, stay connected to that social aspect. Um, And for me, that's very important. So I do that as well. I also like spending time. So for some people, spending time with their kids maybe not be (laughs) a form of self-care. But for me, I like doing events with my kids I like taking them out into the community so we like attending different things that's going on in the community that's family oriented and just you know being spending time with them and just seeing their little faces light up and just be happy (laughs) it it makes me happy and it fills me so yes yes (laughs) I wanted to touch base on you mentioned personal medical and legal Mm -hmm. advocacy yes and you know some people that are listening might not know really what that entails. Mm -hmm. Could you maybe touch on those three types and talk about what you do to help clients of reach counseling specifically in those? Yeah. So through our advocacy program, all of our advocates provide legal, medical, and personal advocacy, as well as outreach. When it comes to personal advocacy, what that really looks like is helping them navigate through life after, you know, sexual abuse, sexual assault. And so a lot of times it's working with them to figure out what their triggers are, what they can do is 
it's when when they're starting to feel like they may be triggered so making sure that they have tools in their tool belt whether that's you know working out whether that's going to church whether that's hanging out with friends whether that's reading yoga you name it you try and make sure that it's tailored to that survivor everything is very survivor centered so if they want to do those things we encourage them to do that also personal advocacy a lot of our clients we may be the first person that they've told about the sexual right. abuse and they do want to tell other people so we help them navigate through that how to disclose the abuse you know as far as environment where how phrases to use words to use um so that they feel more confident a lot of them want to share but they just they they're afraid of saying the wrong things or or creating the wrong you know environment to uh, to foster that very open and right. sensitive you know conversation and so we help them with that also it's getting them hooked up with other resources in the community so sometimes when individuals come to us they they've of course you know experienced sexual abuse sexual assault but they may have other things that's going on in their life that right. they need help with or navigating through so you know sometimes they are in need of basic needs assistance so if we can't provide it here we'll hook them up with resources in the community that where that is their jam that's their specialty such as you know goodwill st vincent de paul jake's hope's house community clothes closet all the all the connections and partnerships we have in the community we re, we utilize when survivors are, are are coming here and then sometimes we're just sitting down with them talking about what happened to them talk about what's going on in their life sometimes they don't want to talk about the abuse and, and we don't force that right. um we let them talk about whatever they want to talk about and it takes time to to foster that trust and relationship. So we allow them to lead us and, and we walk aside them. Medical advocacy, what that looks like is we do provide 24 hour coverage. So we will respond to the hospital during business hours or after business hours after someone has been sexually assaulted. And so we will sit with them um, make sure that they have access to resources and information. Make sure that they understand what's going to be happening there, what's going on when it's happening. Comfort them. If they want us to hold their hand, we'll hold their hand. Right. If they want us um, to be back there during the actual physical exam, we'll go there as well and sit with them, um, encourage them, empower them to empower themselves, all of those things That's we awesome. provide. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, it's very rewarding you know, being there and, and knowing that you're helping when you know that this could be, this could be very invasive and, right. you know, a very tough time in their life um, where, you know, a lot of them are in crisis, active crisis, which is understandable. So um, sometimes they just need a warm body just to yeah. be there. And so we follow and allow them to lead right. um, during that process. And then we'll also attend follow-up care as well. So if they need to come back to the hospital or they need to go to, you know, a follow-up doctor's appointment because of what happened to them, we will attend that. We can also provide transportation there and back as well oh, for that's awesome. if that's a barrier. Yes, yeah. of course. And legal advocacy is, you know, really working with the survivor through the criminal justice process. So some survivors, you know, aren't wanting to report to the police. Some survivors are, and we let them decide when they're ready. Sometimes they start the process and they realize, okay, maybe I'm not 
ready and we say, you know, hey, we will be here when you're ready. Just let us know. And what that looks like is, you know, attending and accompany them to police reports, going with them to file that police report, um, be at the interview when they're being interviewed by the police department, encouraging them during, during that process, empower them and um, to empower themselves during that process and just being there, you know, sometimes you just like I said, just they just need a warm body to be there. So we make sure that they understand what's going to happen, what's happening, make sure that they uh, have the information to follow up. And then also we can help individuals file restraining orders. So we help them fill out the paperwork. We go with them to mm. file the restraining order. We go to court dates after they file the, the restraining order. We help them write their statement um, for that. And then we also accompany them to any other criminal justice proceedings. Be there, we'll make sure that they understand what's going on, when what court date means, you know, what each one of them mean and, and what's gonna happen at each of them. Through the criminal justice process, what we see is a lot of survivors are sometimes because of the long uh, gaps in, in time that passes right. during the criminal justice system. A lot of times we're doing a lot of empowering to empower themselves and a lot of encouraging and a lot of um, just keeping the momentum going right. because sometimes it can be, you know, years before a sentencing or years before a trial. And so we want to, you know, make sure that they are staying encouraged and making sure that we help them through each stage that happens in the criminal justice system. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's really, you know, I'm curious. So when you go to court, mm -hmm. are you ever given the opportunity to speak on a client's behalf if that's what they want? Or how does that work? Yeah, so we do actually help survivors with victim impact statements. So most of the time, the survivor, there's essentially two times that they really like talk a lot during the criminal justice process. Mm -hmm. And that's either when they are being called to the stand or they it's sentencing um, is happening and they are ready to re uh, read their victim impact statement. Sometimes a survivor will not be ready to right. read it out loud. So we can help them during that time to read it on their behalf or a family member or a friend, whoever is there. Right. Sometimes the, the district attorney um, also can read it on the, on the survivor's behalf. Um, but our job really at the in the criminal justice system during those court dates is to uh, encourage the survivor. So we don't do a lot of talking during right. that process. It's important that we're doing a lot of listening right. um, because sometimes when the court um, you know, process is happening at that court date, there's a lot going on. And sometimes they're not there because of you know, all the emotions that they're feeling, especially right. when the, that may be the first time that they're seeing the, the perpetrators since, you know, what happened to them. So there's a lot of emotions that are happening um, during that time. And so sometimes they may not be actually actively listening. So our job is to be listening so that we can say, you know, this is what the judge said. This is what, you know, the DA said, this is what the defense said, and this is what's happening. This is going to be the next court date, you know, that type of thing. So a lot of times we're doing a lot of listening and we may be taking notes too, so that we're, we're able to give our, our client the information that they need. So you've been with Reach for five years, yes. correct? 
So, and in that time, we've got mm-hmm. a new executive director. Mm-hmm. Um, the staff has like doubled. <laughs> uh, there's another location in yes. Appleton now, not just Nina. And talk to me about the positive changes that you've seen. Oh, okay. Yes, <laughs> there has been um, lots of uh, positive changes at REACH um, since I started here back in 2018. Obviously, we've been growing significantly. And, you know, the biggest change that's happened at the agency is having a new executive director. That really shifted kind of like the path in which we were going. I saw the importance of of needing to have someone fresh that could really take reach to another level. There was a lot of things that we were struggling with. I like to call in our past life. <laughs> Here at Reach, there was a lot of things that we were struggling with. And, and one of those was our anti-racism journey. It needed life. <laughs> right. It was struggling. When Kristen came, it was very clear that that was you know, one of the directions in which she wanted to really take the agency. And that was very important to me. To be honest, that that is probably half of the reason why I stayed at REACH um, Mm -hmm. is because I knew that we were headed in a direction in which I could get behind. I think it's important for us to realize that we have to draw attention to all forms of oppression, you know, when we're talking about sexual violence, we can't talk about sexual violence without talking about the oppression that people of color face or um, the LGBTQ plus community. It's important that we draw attention to that because that is how we're going to progress. That is how we're going to be able to dismantle the systems that are put into place to actually continue the rape culture and and to keep it going. Um, And so we have to to draw attention to that. So that's one of the biggest changes that I that I can speak of that I've seen at Reach since we we started down, you know, this path of, you know, anti-racism. One of the things that I think was very important is that we looked at our mission, our vision, our values and we revamped them mm. to center that I, you know, that important concept of anti-racism. And so each of those things, the mission, the vi- vision and values um, that you know ties into our DEI work here, and it kind of sets the the expectation if you know this is the way in which we're headed, and it's important that the people that are here we all align with the importance of that being the forefront of what we're what what we're doing here, right. so that we can live out our our you know our vision of of ending you know sexual violence, and so that's one of the big the big things that I think is important. And the other big piece is we, you know, we hired a, um, a DEI consultant and I think mm. that also helped on a lot of different levels um, that helped us with our strategic planning so that we we focus on our, you know, revamping our mission and vision and our values. But we also started to look at the way that we're hiring, job descriptions, um, where we're posting, like all of that matters when you're trying to actually do diversity, equity, and inclusion. You can't say you're doing it and like not be doing it (laughs) you know like it's 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 gonna show right and so it's important to you know also walk the walk yep Mm -hmm. and one thing that i i find makes reach unique one of the ways is that you have advocates that represent many different 
types of people and types of backgrounds. You're setting people up with someone who understands their culture and their background, Mm -hmm. um, or at least has training in in how to do that um, or how to be sensitive to it uh, and respectful to it. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to touch base on, you talked about hiring, and I think people will find this interesting or at least helpful as we continue to evolve as nonprofits and uh, in general just hiring practices mm-hmm. is what what is something that you look for when you're a part of interviews because mm-hmm. I know you're passionate about interviews yeah, yes I am <laughs> I'm very nice. passionate about um, <laughs> so what is something that is non-typical maybe or in the past hasn't been a priority okay that you specifically look for in someone you're interviewing yeah I know like so when that's been one of my projects here at reach I I took a look at our interview questions and I revamped them I put them in sections that make sense for the position and one of the things that was clearly missing um, was a section on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so I created uh, some uh, um, some questions with our DEI consultant that made sense um, to really get to dive a little bit deeper and and get to. Um, what we were trying to, you know, get to when we were asking the questions, right? Um, because we want to make sure that the people that we're bringing into the organization do align with our mission, our vision, and our values, and our on our and our road on, um, you know, anti-racism. It's very important. So some things that I look for when I'm interviewing is phrases, words that right. they're using, um, body language says a lot, where they're looking at as well. Like when I'm interviewing them are they looking in my eyes when people are answering the questions and and it may not be the answer that we're looking for or something along those lines I love when individuals say hey you know I may not um, know this but I am willing to learn I want right. to grow I know that I could use some help in this area there's a desire and, yeah, there's a okay. desire yeah. there's a want to learn and, and, and knowledge and when I see that and, and when I actually feel you know is genuine that they are really wanting to learn more and that they are admitting and taking accountability to that maybe they haven't attended those trainings like you know or mm-hmm. maybe they haven't you know reached out of their comfort zone and right. and did research or something like that but they're willing to admit that their intentions are there right they really exactly. want to grow and learn and evolve and i think that's very important because especially in this line of work you have to be willing to grow and evolve and learn Otherwise, you will get left <laughs> in the dust. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it shows and clients know, like, if yeah. you are closed-minded and you're judgmental and you're not welcoming of, of, of different perspectives or, or they're feeling like, you know, you may not be there for them, it's, it, you, they can tell. They can tell. They can tell right away. And so it's important that we have an open mind and that we're willing to continue to educate ourselves and to be uncomfortable. That is where the real growth happens is when you're uncomfortable and you have to be willing to sit in it. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable for there to be real progress. Right. Another question I have for you is since you lead so many people, you you (laughs) oversee a a pretty big team for a nonprofit. Yeah. And... How do you go about making sure that you're investing in the people on your team, but also not micromanaging, like finding that balance? Yeah, yeah. There's a balance. (laughs) It's not, you know, I've never been like a helicopter type of leader. Like, you know, I, I really 
especially when you're talking about different culturally specific programming or things like trafficking, uh, it's very important that people also can live out the vision that they have for their program right. and that they have that autonomy to make, you know, choices that they feel like is best for their program and their community that they're serving. And so I really, I believe in the work that they're doing. I believe in the fact that they are experts in that field. So I, what I really like doing is, you know, staying connected with each of the programs. So I meet with my team members weekly for an hour, um, where we talk, we, you know, talk about what's going on in their program, challenges, concerns, um, wins, what outreach programs they have going on. Um, during that time, we talk about ideas that they have for their program. We talk about cases. It's very important that, you know, I don't need to know every detail of cases, but I, I, but I do feel like there is some importance in staying connected with the advocates in their cases and, and make sure that, you know, I'm kind of managing the caseload so that we can prevent that burnout that right. we were talking about earlier. It's very important. So we talk about that. Do you feel like you're at max capacity? Um, do you feel like you could take more cases? Um, so that I have that in the back of my mind as I'm receiving referrals. We have trainings as well. So I've done um, some things on like vulnerability, um, de-escalation. We like to take time at each of the meetings to do a team building exercise. So we actually start off our meeting with that. Yeah. That builds that team morale, that builds that connection, that trust. Yeah. I wanted to congratulate you on your 40 under 40 Aww. honoree um, <laughs> award. And I, I think one of the most inspiring things about you that I've come to find as I've spoken to you in the past mm -hmm. is when I was talking to you about your advocacy workshop and you mentioned something about wanting to always make sure that you're preparing reach for longevity yes and that even mm -hmm. if you know something happened to you or you couldn't mm -hmm. be here or mm -hmm. you needed to leave or parted away or whatever happened mm -hmm. that you set things up to run well and to continue to grow and do well and I feel like that's the mark of a really oh. healthy strong leader oh, and you. so I just want to congratulate <laughs> you I, I imagine that's You're part so of why you got honored in yeah. that way when you have that mindset it's yeah. just so life-giving to an organization I, I'd like to know in particular if you could give one piece of advice hmm. to a survivor out okay. there that maybe is listening to this podcast mm -hmm. and hasn't taken that step of sharing it with someone, what would you tell them or how would you encourage them mm -hmm. or make them feel comfortable to take that step? Yeah. You know, the biggest thing is like knowing that someone is there for you. I think as a survivor myself, it's important to have someone that you can go to that you can confine in and there's no judgment, there's, you know, supportiveness, there's um, resources, there's comfort, um, and there's healing that's taking place. That's one of our values here is healing. Um, and so I think it's important to let survivors know we're here whenever you're ready. Um, there is someone here that will listen to you, that will help you navigate um, through what you're going through, like that you don't have to go through this alone. Um, and that taking that first step to get help is, is, is a big, big, big step in your healing. Reaching out and knowing that 
you know, we'll, we'll be here for you. We're yeah. here for you. We want you to be better. We want um, to, you know, share all, what we know, what share our resources um, so that you know that there's someone there for you. Right. I think it's just so important to that piece alone, just knowing that someone is out there and that they're there for you, I think is, is so big. Right. And and I just want to clarify mm-hmm. to anybody who is thinking about reaching out um, mm-hmm. and some maybe deterrence in their mind, mm-hmm. it is confidential. Yes. They're in control of the trajectory of how this plays out. Yes. So if they don't want to press charges mm-hmm. or they don't want to do medical um, things to you know, document anything, they don't have to. And no. there's no shame to that. No, absolutely Maybe they not. just want someone to listen to them yes. or tell them what options are available to yeah. them. Um, and also there's no cost associated to reach out. Yes. Um, so free. advocacy services are provided by the grants and things that we yes. receive. So it's not paid by no. the survivors. No, okay. completely yeah. free. It's important that survivors are not paying for these resources. Right. I do not think, you know, that that is fair that for survivors to have to pay for that or for them or for it to be a deterrence from them getting services. It's important for survivors to know we're here and for the community to know we're here and, and what we do. Well, thank you, Sierra. Again, this was Sierra Hill, um, mm-hmm. Advocacy Director and Victim Advocate at Reach Counseling Services. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. You are not alone. REACH Counseling is here to help, and we're expanding our REACH. Since 1976, we have offered our services throughout Winnebago County. We are pleased to now offer our services in Outagamie and Calumet counties as well. REACH Counseling is a sexual assault service provider for children and adults that offers culturally responsive outreach, prevention education, victim advocacy, trauma counseling, and sex offender treatment. As an anti-violence agency, we strive to heal lives and transform communities. Call our 24-7 helpline anytime at 920-722-8150. For more information, visit us at reachcounseling.com.